Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mature Audiences Mayhem. My name is Glenn King. It's my great honor to bring you this podcast where we entertain you by interviewing and having conversations with people from all areas of the world of entertainment and talking about many topics, including those that are intended for mature audiences only. Before we get into this week's interview, I want to remind you that we have a new Twitter. We have a new Twitter for the podcast. It is M-A-M Podcast and the number one. That's M-A-M Podcast and the number one. So follow us on Twitter and you will get updates about who's coming on the show and some audio snippets and all kinds of fun things. Maybe even some pictures thrown in as well. Let's get right into it with this week's guest. I have a very interesting guest for you today. I know him as the the founder and the brains behind Playboy Radio, but there are many, many other things that people know him as. His, he's really quite legendary in a number of fields. I've got his bio in front of me here. This is pretty crazy. And in fact, there are things that I know about that aren't even on here, but we'll just throw out some of his highlights. He is currently the CEO of The Muck, The Muckenthaler, which, among other things, is a concert venue with such bands as Kid Ramos coming in this summer, the great Kid Ramos, which, uh, who was formerly of the fabulous Thunderbirds. He uh, has started many Sirius Satellite Radio channels and was a Sirius Satellite Radio executive. He was Vice President, General Manager, Head of Productions for brands like Playboy, Entertainment Weekly, OutQ, Indie, uh, and has consulted for many, many others. He is a playwright. I don't even see that on here, but I know he's written Broadway plays. He was uh, spent seven years with the Theater LA Ovation Awards, they have booked such guests and presenters as Steve Martin, Carol Burnett, Charlton Heston, Kevin Spacey, and many, many more. Why are you laughing at Kevin Spacey? Kevin Spacey, uh, because people always work their way into my show who are uh, uh, infamous, the infamous Kevin Spacey, Kevin Spacey, but he's innocent until proven guilty, right? Um, I worked with Kevin, and I um, have personal knowledge of his attitude towards every human being. Hmm. Okay, well, we'll get to that because it's part of your book, among other things. He is an author of a really, really good book that I enjoyed very much called What I Learned from 50 Celebrities that you can get on Amazon. Oh, here's the play that he wrote. It's the, the, the play is about the life of legendary Notre Dame football coach Newt Rockney. Uh, I have listened to the soundtrack of this, of this, and I love the songs on there. Uh, and he also worked for the Anaheim Ducks. And there's more things on here. Yeah. So you've lived an incredible life. This man, by the way, everyone, is the great Farrell Hirsch. Yay! Farrell Hirsch. And by the way... here for me. I like me. Yeah, we'll put in a big round of applause there. And you deserve one because you are truly a legend, and you and I have been friends for a long time. Yeah. And you don't brag about yourself, so then I've never had to pretend to um, be impressed. But in reality, I have always been impressed by your background and your resume and the skills you brought to the table. And just so everybody knows, he gave me my start in in radio as well. Oh, so wait a minute, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna call you on that because I don't think that's true. Really? Yeah. Didn't you before we even met? Didn't you once have a? Um... A, show, a music show in Texas? Uh, that's true. It's actually two different. I had one show in Florida, and oh, then in uh, in Northridge, I had 88.5 KCSN, the Smoke and Blues show. Right, right. It was a blues show. I remember you telling me that. Right, which is why I'm familiar with Kid Ramos and very yeah. excited that you're bringing him in for your concert series. But, okay, so you didn't quite give me my start in radio, but you gave me my first break in radio, which led to my um, humongous career. Yeah. As a radio host. <laughs> and here we are. And here we are. All right. So this is a lot to tackle. First off, let's just go back. I, I Okay. You are a famous Mets apologist, so I'm assuming that you are from New York originally? I am. I was born in Brooklyn, I, uh, uh, Coney Island Avenue in Brooklyn, and then I grew up mostly on Long Island. And did you get into acting in high school or how did you sort of get into the entertainment field? Um, I wouldn't say I got into acting. Um, the only acting I've ever done in my entire life was, um, when, when I was in high school, there was, um, there wasn't going to be a senior class play cause nobody was interested. So 
uh, me and a bunch of my friends, uh, some of whom you've actually met, but I won't mention their names because they didn't ask for that. Um, uh, we got together to decide we were going to do our own play. It was the those were the years of the original Saturday Saturday Night Live crew, so we figured we could do something like that and write a sketch comedy show, and we did it. And we were on stage for like two hours, and we sang and we danced and we did comedy, and that was no one. No, I take it back. It was one of the only two times. I was ever on stage. The other time was in college. There was a girl I liked, and she was in the theater department, and they were doing a production of Hair up in Buffalo. Yeah. Um, and I tried out so I could hang out with her, and um, <laughs> they they gave me the role of Claude Bukowski, which is one of the leads, uh, on the condition that I also take singing lessons. Oh, okay. Um, if you don't know the show, uh, at, at the end of Hair, like the last 10 or 15 minutes of Hair, the entire uh, cast appears naked on stage. Um, and if you, I, let's just say Buffalo, New York in the winter and me naked is not a good combination. <laughs> so yeah, there's, actually, there's shrinkage. There's shrinkage. Anywhere is not yeah. a good combination. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, shrinkage is a natural occurrence. So I don't think you need to apologize for that at all. It happens. It did. Okay. We'll, we'll leave it at that. So uh, you did all this back in New York, but yep. then you moved to California because I recall you telling me that you were in this, the same acting classes perhaps as Lisa Kudrow or the same writing classes? Um, no, no. Um, uh, you're, mi you're mixing stories there. But yeah. um, Lisa and I know each other from when we were still in high school, actually. And um, we both ended up at a Cornell summer program for gifted children. Uh, which for which Lisa qualified, and um, they had an open spot for me. True story. Some of my friends were going, and there was an e empty spot, so I went up to like basically to visit. I I was not that kind of student, but Lisa is and was absolutely brilliant, and she's a genius. And so I knew her. If you're asking me to tell the Lisa story, um, I, I I knew her when I moved to LA and in 1987, and she. In those years, she had finished up uh, – she went to undergrad at Vassar, and she was going to go be a doctor, and her mother is a doctor, and her father is a doctor, and her older siblings are all doctors, and they thought she was going to be a doctor. And somewhere in the middle of that, she went to her parents and, and said that she wanted to be an actress, and um, they didn't take kindly to it. Uh, and so at that point, she was – I think she was working as a waitress and, and uh, kind of studying at the Groundlings, and she – and I had written my first play, and she came to my apartment, and we were reading through stuff. I, I put it together a little cast so I could hear it, and and she was brilliant. And I was so knocked out that that this young woman who I've known for years is she's really that talented. And I said to her, Lisa, you could um, I want you to come to New York. I raised the money. Come to New York with me. We're going to do this play. And you know, I know you want to be an actress, and not much is going on. Come with me. And she said, Well, I can't. I said, what do you mean you can't? She said, I, Farrell, I, I have a new agent and a manager, and and we have a plan, and we know where my career is going to go. I'm not the leading, I'm not the leading actress type. I'm the wacky neighbor on a sitcom. <laughs> and I said, Lisa, you're out of your mind. I'm, you know, wacky neighbor on a sitcom is what is what actors do when they fail that's you know that's what they take as a consolation prize i'm offering you the lead role on broadway you you you're you're passing up a guaranteed success for a chance at eventual failure you're 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 being a fool um yeah and, and three years later she's making a million dollars a week on friends um but but you know my book um the book is actually called you know 50 things i learned by screwing up in front of celebrities and so in each story i tell how i you know how i screwed up with the celebrity and by the way i'm the fool in every story um but there's also a lesson and a moral at the end and and, I, and for that one the moral is really that lisa no, Lisa had a plan. Her success wasn't by accident. She also had talent, and, and, and she worked hard. But sometimes people forget to make a plan. And and man, she knew exactly where she was going to go. She put her team together. She she had a vision, and she didn't deviate from that. And you know, just because I wanted to put her on stage for a few weeks, and I I, I think a large part of her success was due to saying no to me that day. And maybe so. So then you yep. actually can take all the credit, as far as I'm concerned, for the entire Friends TV show. What do you think of that? Um, 
I I never ever would take more than twenty two percent credit. <laughs> Fair enough. So you were part of a group. And by the way, everyone, that is the first story in his book. Again, you can get it on Amazon. It's what I learned from fifty celebrities by screwing up in front of them by Farrell Hirsch. Farrell Hirsch, the man who is with us today. So uh, you were part of a group of of people who wrote plays, or what, yeah. what's the story from that period? Oh well, there Besides were certainly yourself. a lot of people around. I, you know, I, I was part of a playwrights group, and we we did a lot of stuff. Um, you know, I, one of the things that 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 people like to hear is th- that one of the plays that did really well for me was uh, funded through people on the Howard Stern show. And um, if if you were a Stern fan back then, um, uh, Jackie Martling and Nancy Siriani, and Jackie was sort of the second banana on the show and he was the comedy writer and his and his voice was always there and Howard would call him Jackie 922 wine use your finger martling and his wife Nancy Nancy was starring in the plays and and it was being funded through that crowd of people and a re- remarkable thing happened um we put these we put a couple of plays on and they would do well and as theater does after a while the crowds start to dissipate the shows run its course and somehow, magically, Howard would get wind of it, and he'd mention how terrible the show is, that he thinks it's a disaster and he thinks it's the worst thing ever, and he accused me on the air of having an affair with Nancy. <laughs> and then we'd sell out eight weeks more worth of tickets. Right. <laughs> because, you know, Howard just understood how how that game is played, and he was very kind and gracious to us. Or he was just being mean and we uh, you know, received the benefits. Either way is fine. And I believe that show uh, was happening right about the time that OJ went on his uh, car uh, chase. Oh yeah, yeah. Our opening night in Los Angeles was a show called that was called Different States, I think. If I have no, nope, nope, that was Different States. I did with them in New York. This was a show called um, Hawk Talk. Okay. It was actually it was about it was about a radio uh, or a sports radio uh, team, uh, a talk show team, and yeah, the the night we were supposed to open was the night of the infamous OJ car chase. And we were supposed to open at 8. And we know the show is sold out at 810, 815, 820. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's there. And they start they start wandering in at 9. And we actually had to get a TV because nobody wanted to see the show. We had to get a TV, put it on stage, have the crowd gather around the television <laughs> until that was over. And then we started the show at like 10 p.m. Yeah. That was – but OJ screwed me every step of the way. Um, also, you know, we were having, um, um, so I, I produced something called the Ovation Awards, which is LA's version of the Tonys. And that one year we were, we were live, we were televising live on the morning news shows, the, um, the nominees, we were were announcing the nominations. We had all these celebrities there at the time. Um, and we announced it and we put out our press release and all the camera crews were supposed to be there. And then Friday, this was on a Monday morning, but Friday after work hours, Judge Lance Ito announces that they're going to announce <laughs> the OJ verdict at the exact same time as my press conference. Yeah. Um, the good news, the bizarre good news out of all of this was all the local news stations figured out something that I didn't. I figured, well, we're just going to lose our coverage. But they all sent cameras to my place because I had a gaggle of celebrities hanging out, and they, all they really wanted was celebrity reaction to the um, to the verdict when it was read. Yeah. And there's a great clip you can see it online uh, on YouTube or in any of the OJ documentaries. Joan Van Ark, who was a, a, a primetime soap opera actress at the time, I think she was on Knots Landing. Yeah. Um, there's a great one where Joan Van Ark had herself placed directly in front of one of the cameras as the verdict was being read. And she she was facing away from the camera, but as soon as the verdict was read, she turned, she did a 180-degree take and right into the camera voiced or, or just mouthed the words, oh, my God! <laughs> it was, it was and, we got, and we got tons of press out of that. Now, nobody knew who our nominees were, but that's okay. We got lots of press. Uh, all publicity is good publicity. Yeah. And there's a lesson to be learned, I'm sure, because this is the thing I love about your book is that not only does each chapter have an interesting story about a celebrity, but then there's a lesson learned at the yeah. end of each story. So what's the lesson out of that story? Do you recall? Uh, yeah, that, that here's the thing. Things always work out. They never work out the way you think they're going to, 
but they work out if you let them. Yeah. I mean, we were so mad at OJ and, <laughs> and, and, and Lance Ito and the situation and, and, and the film crews who couldn't, could no longer guarantee they were going to be there, even though we thought we were doing this incredible thing for the community. And, but, and we had worked two years on that event. Yeah. And we ended up, and we ended up getting, I don't know, five times as much publicity in, 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 in this, out of this horrible event, we probably got five times the publicity that we ever could have. You know, like for those of you who listen to the podcast that are too young to have really been aware of what was going on that day, it was it's really one of the more surreal days in my lifetime yeah. of anyone's lifetime is and I'm not talking about the verdict. I'm talking about the night that o j was driving around, you know, so o j is accused of of murdering his wife, and he was found uh, uh, not guilty, so I guess right, but so we can't really say he's guilty, but a lot of evidence indicated such, but at the time he was on the run from the police, and this was a guy that was an NFL announcer, one of the greatest running backs of all time, and yeah, one of one of America's great role models. Yeah, he'd been in movies like Naked Gun. Uh, I mean, he was beloved. Yeah, but he goes out and does this, and 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 then he's running from the police. And everyone everywhere stopped what they were doing to watch this. I remember I was in a bar. And, and everyone in the whole bar was just with us, kind of staring at the TV set, watching this all unfold. It, it I, The only thing I can think of that's somewhat comparable is 9-11, where everyone was tuned to the TV and just had no idea what was going to happen next. Yeah, except except with the 9-11 thing, you knew it was a tragedy. We knew pretty quick it was, it was terrorism. We knew people, you know, just dozens upon dozens of people were dying. The OJ thing, just what? How? You, you, the one thing you knew is this can't be true. It just OJ Simpson wouldn't do that. I wonder what the real story is. That that's what's going through everybody's mind. It can't. Not fact, mine. I, yeah, my favorite my favorite meme in the history of the internet. There's a there, and you've probably seen it. There's a photo from the old um, ABC Superstars TV show, where it's Howard Cosell. Standing with Bruce Jenner and O.J. Simpson, and the caption says, "Ladies and gentlemen, I've just come back from the future, and you're not going to believe <laughs> what happened to these two guys." <laughs> That's pretty good. It's brilliant. I didn't. I, I mean, to be fair, though, I think O.J. had been accused of beating his wife a few times before that, and I can recall. Seeing him on TV on a Sunday morning one or two times going, man, he looks really beat up like he was out all night long and, yeah. and thinking there was something wrong with him. But also it was a different time, you know. It's, it's what, a quarter of a century ago and uh, nobody advocated, certainly not killing your wife, but not beating your wife. But we had a more private, ad, you know, it's, oh, I, you know, we didn't necessarily always believe the woman. Yeah. Which we're more likely to now, and or we said, "Hey, that's their issue. I don't want to get in the middle of it." That was something that that that's what we all did. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was that. And hey, we that's lost. personal. That's a, you know, that's a marital issue between two people, and and people yeah. would leave them alone. Nowadays, I think you, you know, thank goodness, the Me Too generation has appeared where we take it very seriously when somebody complains. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about how you got into Playboy because, like myself, I think you probably never expected to work in the world of adult entertainment in any form, even though Playboy is a very mild form. Well, I do have these double jointed hips, and I can dance. The- no, no, no. <laughs> here's here's actually what happened. Yeah. Um, I was I was in the theater world, and and I I had progressed from being just a, a playwright to also being a producer, and I had done all these sorts of things, and um. It was time to start a family, and my wife said, here's the deal. She said, you've got a show sitting down in New York. You have a show sitting down in Chicago and another one touring the country. I was literally coming home on Wednesdays. Um, I would fly in Wednesday morning. We'd have lunch together. I'd go to the set of a TV show where I had a producer title, um, and they wouldn't pay me unless I showed up on the set, and then leave Wednesday. And that was the only time my wife and I were spending together. And she said, you know – that's not really the a way to raise a kid. Um, and I agreed. So I looked for something that would keep me in town, town being Los Angeles. And 
you know, satellite radio was starting at the time and Playboy wanted to launch a channel and I knew some people who worked over there. And I mean, the wonderful thing about Playboy is that they kind of just hired the first person they interviewed a lot of times. <laughs> there you go. Um, That's why you were I, most I, qualified for it. Yeah, no, I, I your first had my sneakers. I ran in there more quickly than the other guy. No, um, I had known some people over there, and they put in a good word for me. And um, it started with just one show on XM, a show called Night Calls. It was hosted by Julie Ashton and Tiffany Granith. And I knew Julie and Tiffany, and really it was them vouching for me that that probably got me the job. Why Why and, did you know Julie and Tiffany already? Oh, well, that's that's an easy one. Do, do you not know this? Or are you no, asking for the, but, I honestly oh. don't know. Oh, because that TV show that I said that I had a producer title on was a Night Calls TV, hosted ah, by Julie and Tiffany, was yes. on, on Playboy TV. Yeah, but I didn't like I, I didn't work for Playboy. I came in, I literally came in on Wednesdays and helped them put some stories together, and then that's it. That was my whole thing. It was a and great so show, by the, the way. I remember watching that show quite a bit. It was revolutionary. Yeah. It was, you know, it was way way ahead of its time the production value you know again i wouldn't say it's amazing production value but but way beyond anything that anybody was doing on cable in those days and to have a live call-in show and to have a live porn call-in show the guys and it wasn't me but the guys who created that I don't know, jim english eric middleman whoever else was there they were it was pretty visionary i think did you get that show be, because you knew eric or you met eric yeah. Yes. No, okay. no, 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 no. Absolutely. I got, Eric and I grew up together. And he was one of those guys in that high school play I mentioned. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Eric, um, Eric, th there was a, a specific part of the show that Eric thought wasn't going as well as he could. And he asked me to come in and, and help with it. And so I did. And and by the way, di I did that with my nose planted in the air. Like I was too strong. You know, I'm yeah. a show business guy. Yeah. I went, these, these, these are naked people. I don't want to be the And that's. <laughs> But they were starting a radio station, and I needed that job. Yeah, and that's what I was getting at, by the way, is that's yeah. how that's how you became, you know, shoved into the world of adult is because you knew Eric, who got you this, yeah. helped you get this job for Playboy TV, which then led to this opportunity with Playboy Radio. And I think a lot of people like you and me don't intend to, but we're just sort of destined to be in certain in certain areas. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call it destiny. <laughs> but but then again, I got out. So um. <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to me, but yes, okay. No, I mean because I'm okay. Believe me, I'm where I belong. So that I, that's no argument there. I, well, here's the thing. I think you were always more comfortable with the content than I was. Yeah. Um. Uh, you were certainly more comfortable being involved in these people's lives and their world than I was. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um. I I I. You know, some people would say that, you know, I maintained my personal decorum. And on the other hand, I maintained really just that snooty attitude that I was. Not. But, you know, I say that, but, you know, I got that job, you know, running that Playboy radio station. When I was 38. It was like a week short of my 39th birthday. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that point in my life, I was married. I had a mortgage. I know I, I, I didn't drink anymore. Um, if if man, if I got that job at 22, I wouldn't have lasted three weeks. I would have been way overindulgent, and right. and would have made all the mistakes I watched other people make. But you know, I I got it at the right time for me. Right, right. We see that over and over again in our industry, where somebody comes into a role in our industry that is an executive role or yes. something that should not involve uh, dipping into the the talent pool. In other words. Uh, yeah, sam sampling the merchandise. Sampling the merchandise. I guess what we're trying to say is having sex with all the porn stars, yeah. and then they end up uh, doing all that, and it ruins their marriage and and their career as well because it's difficult for them to sort of be unbiased and do their jobs properly. But you, to your credit, you did always, to my knowledge, and I think I would have known, you you always stayed out of that. So kudos to you, uh, unlike me. Well, well, it, well, but again, there's a difference. I'm married. You're not married. Right. You know, I got a kid at home. I, I can't I, – and, you know, it, it wasn't – you like porn girls. I, I – you know what? I'll tell you a story. And this this you may have heard. This is probably the 
the worst thing I ever did and probably should have gotten me fired. Is this in the book? Um, is this because we got to make a, a shameless no. plug for the book? Oh, okay. Sorry. No, oh, no, no, no. This is this story is so good it couldn't go in the book. Oh, good. Okay. Um, um, so I used to have like this, this this thing that HR would have, it would have driven them crazy. So in order to get a job on, on Playboy Radio in those days, um, I would make girls go through – and you you actually went through this probably except for the last part. Um, I would make people go through weeks if not months of training and learning your formatics and, and really learning how to be a radio star and then coming up with a concept of your show and rehearsing it and then finally – doing a sample show and the first sample show was never good enough and you had to go and make another one and then I'd show it to the to the Playboy executives to make sure that it um, it, 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 it was on brand for Playboy and, and then it had to pass muster with the serious executives and after you got through all of that you finally got – maybe you got a job if there was an opening on the schedule and invariably I would go to these young ladies and, and they'd, I'd call them into my office and congratulate them on getting the job and they'd start walking around the desk because – the normal thing, in, yeah. The normal thing in their business is, yeah, they, they thought they owed me a thanks or, a, or a, you know, tribute or, or whatever they would call it in the mafia. Um, but you know, there's that wasn't my thing, and I couldn't. It took me a while, and I couldn't figure out how to tell them that no, I'm not that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so I finally found the really horrible words on how to do it, and I said, look, here's the deal. I'd really like to do that with you. I'd love to have sex with you. But once we do that, you can't work here. So you're going to need to make a choice between me and the job. And in 15 years, well right, in 15 years, nobody chose me. <laughs> but the people that are listening to this show have to understand the culture here. It's not like Farrell was sexually harassing the girls or suggesting to the girls even. It's just oh. – and, and we're talking 20 years ago. But yeah. back then in our industry – Oral sex was a was a was a currency. It was yes. it was like it was like a handshake essentially. And yes. if you said to the girl, "Well, I'll do you a favor," they assumed, and in a lot of cases, they still do today. Yes. When you yes. do a favor to the girls, they're sometimes wary about accepting a favor because they assume you're going to ask for oral sex at a minimum in exchange. Mm. Although, oddly enough. I was just telling Farrell a story of, uh, off air about how I, a girl left her charger in my car this weekend, and I demanded a lap dance as a um, in return for going walking all the way to the car to get it and coming back. And yeah, in, in, I, I don't know if it's, I was going to say in your defense. I don't know if it's really in your defense, but I know that young lady, and if she didn't want to do it, she right. she's strong enough to say no. She's pretty tough. She's very tough. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, okay, I want to talk to you about uh, your first show over at Playboy Radio. But first, I need to tell you about our sponsor, Blue Chew, bluechew.com. Blue Chew, Blue Chew is the first chewable erectile dysfunction pill with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You take them anytime. You see, Farrell, because they're chewable, they work twice as fast as a pill. So this is really sexual performance on demand. And as you know, I have worked in the adult film industry for about 20 years it is my job to be an expert on which erectile dysfunction pills actually work and which ones don't because when I produce a video, I have my money on the line. And if the male performer cannot perform, we're going to lose our investment in that day. And I highly recommend, from personal experience, Blue Chew. Uh, Blue Chew is prescribed online. You just go to their website. You fill in a little box and you say, I have trouble with erectile dysfunction. A real doctor reviews it. And it's great. It is great. No, it's wonderful. So you don't have to go to the doctor. It takes months to get a doctor's appointment these days. You do not have to wait in line at the pharmacy as well. The stuff is shipped to your home. I have a package right next to me here. Just reaching back for it. My own personal wait, supply. Wait, wait, let, let me do the sound effects. Okay. <laughs> you see? Mmm. There you go. That yeah. it's it's really tasty. It actually tastes like Pez. So And you just chew it up, and it comes in this very discreet package to your home. Uh, you do not have to go to the pharmacy where they legally have to ask you, uh, do you have any questions about your erectile dysfunction pills while you're standing in line and you know, you're trying to kind of shade your identity from the other people there? It works. It's shipped from right here in the United States, uh, way cheaper than a pharmacy. It's very affordable. You basically just pay them a monthly fee, and they send however many pills that you need. And Farrell, if you want to try this out, 
I have an offer code for you, which is quite amazing. Hmm. Use the promo code ADULT, A-D-U-L-T. Get your first shipment for free. That's right, free, and just pay $5 for shipping. You do got to pay the shipping cost. But other than that, it is free. So go to BlueChew, BlueChew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Use my promo code ADULT. Try it out, and then tweet me. I'm Glenn King XXX with two N's, and send me a thank you and let me know how well it worked out for you. Farrell, that goes for you as well. Uh, it, I promise to tell you how well it works out. Thank you very much. All right, so let's get back to your Playboy radio career because you had taken this amazing show, Night Calls on Television, which yeah. was somewhat like a call-in phone sex show, but it actually had little skits, I think, in it as well. Yeah. And um, it, was, it was a pretty amazing show. And then you, you adapted that to work in, in the radio format. Who were the first girls you brought to radio? Well, the, the first hosts were Julie Ashton and Tiffany Granith. Oh, so and you brought Julie, them from the TV show? Yeah, to yeah they, were the, gotcha. um, they weren't the two originals. The, it was really started with Julie and a girl named Doria. But, I, you know, she had, she had long left the planet of sanity. Um, and, um, you know, but the concept of the show was really interesting because we always say, oh, it was a couple of porn girls, but it really wasn't. Julie Ashton was, um, certainly a porn star, a legendary porn star, one of the first, she used to call herself the first queen of anal or something. Um, but Tiffany Granith was not, she was different. She was, um, she was more like a... Uh, what do they call video vixen? Was that the term they used to use? She was on music videos. She'd been a background dancer with Bette Midler and with uh, with Bobcat Goldthwait of all things. Hmm. Um, so that was Tiffany's background. She certainly, you know, maybe she would have done a Skinamax movie, or if, if people know that term still. But she she wasn't a porn star by any stretch of the imagination. But was and is absolutely stunningly hot. A redhead. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, you should look her up. She's, um, um, she, I, she's, I think she's out of the broadcast. No, no, no. She and Marie and Funk have some kind of uh, podcast together. Yeah, I still follow Tiffany on Twitter, and so yeah. although she, I don't think she's following me back, but that, but I do. Hey, I, that's Tiffany. That's Tiffany. Yeah, I, although I'm a big fan of Tiffany, so um, yeah, one of these days I should go on a, her podcast and try to do a, uh, I mean a you know trade off thing where we do each other's podcast. Yeah. But um, but yeah, people check out uh, Tiffany Granite. She was the original host and of uh, and way, very talented. As, um, yeah, on air personality, as talented a host as you'll ever hear on the radio. She's really good. Yeah, and then was married to a famous hockey player, which was interesting as well. Because as I remember, for example, the last day on XM Radio before the, we switched to Sirius, this mm-hmm. was before I had a job with Playboy. Each of the two hosts, but and at this point it was. Tiffany and Christy Canyon, they each got to bring oh, yes. in their favorite guest. So she brought in her husband, um, uh, what the, Norty. Norty, his yep. name was Ed mm-hmm. Norton, or no, not Ed Norton. No, not Ed. Not Ed. Hey, Ralphie. Well, his last name was Norton. <laughs> yeah, Brad. His first name Brad was Brad Norton. Okay. And then Christy brought in me, so so that was the foursome, and, and some on-air sh- uh, alcohol as well for that show. But all right, so you started with uh, uh, Julie and Tiffany, and then what was the most shocking moment for you? I guess, which I don't think is in the book, oh, but no, because um, the, the 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 moments that were most shocking were just way too dirty for a PG book. Not too dirty for you to hear. Um, no, I think I think the most um, I, 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 maybe the Cytheria. Do you know the Cytheria story? <laughs> no, but. <laughs> but Cytheria. I've known many Cytheria stories, so no, go right ahead. You, okay. You'll never hear a better Cytheria. Okay, Cytheria was this tiny little momentary porn star. Yeah. She didn't have a very long career. Yeah. I, I kind of liked her. She was really sweet. So for some reason, she was in this one day to do a um, uh, a squirting demonstration, you know, female ejaculation. Yeah. And and she was going to do it in this chair, and she had herself tilted up, and she was going to do it right before we went to commercial. And we like, actually we actually went to the bother of getting these giant pieces of plastic just to save the equipment. And and yeah. so she's sitting in this chair, and she's doing this thing, and finally this stuff squirts out, and and we we go to break, we go to commercial, and she, I hear Farrell, come here, come here. I said, what? What's going on? She said. I squeezed too hard and it came out the other end. I said, what? what the hell do you? And I didn't know what she was talking about. And I looked down 
and she's sitting in in one of our chairs in I'd say an inch and a half of diarrhea. <laughs> she's just planted in this chair of diarrhea, and and she's she's in it like like it, like she's lowered into the cement of it or something. Yeah. And so I said, oh, just go to the bathroom, clean yourself up. I'll do something with the chair. Now, right next to our studio was a voiceover studio. And if you know anything about voiceover studios, they're always airtight because they have to be – so I take the, the duty chair and I call <laughs> up the guy who runs the facility. His name was Mike. I said, Mike, what do you want me to do? you got to get rid of this chair. He goes, I'll be there in a half hour. Put it in the put it in the, the voiceover studio next door and I'll come get it in the next 20 minutes. I said, okay. So I put the, the duty chair. That's what we called it. Put it Took the duty chair, put it in the voiceover studio, and we went and Cytheory wiped up. We did the rest of our show, and we all went. It was a Friday. We all went home for the weekend. Mm-hmm. Me, I just thought this Mike guy took care of the chair like he said he would. But remember, what <laughs> I actually did on his advice was lock it over the weekend in Into an airtight, airtight room. room. Mm-hmm. Right. So Monday morning comes, and now there's a voiceover in that in that room. And, <laughs> oh, God. They they open up the room, and it must have smelled. You know what? It must have smelled like somebody left a chair full of diarrhea in there over the weekend. Oh <laughs> and 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 everybody knows it smells, but they can't figure out why. They haven't seen the chair yet. And the voiceover talent goes to sit in the chair. Oh. And and the producer, his name is John. He <laughs> pulls the he pulls the chair out of the way so the guy doesn't sit it, and the guy falls on the floor. Which is better than falling into the shit. But here's the thing. The guy, the voiceover guy, the voiceover talent who was going to do it was Keith Hefner. Oh, oops. Hugh Hefner's brother. <laughs> so this John guy was kind of a tough street kid from Boston. He goes, what the fuck? Who the fuck left me this fucking chair? I'm going to fucking kill somebody. <laughs> He's going around screaming. And then he goes into the boss's office. I don't know if you ever met Saul. He was the boss those days. and yeah. But everybody was intimidated by by Saul. And... And now I got Saul coming over. Fuck, all the fuck, and, he, and the Boston guy going, hey, I'm really fucking, I'm gonna fuck it. And, and it was like Pesci and De Niro coming in. And and I, I hear them screaming because the offices are almost literally a block away, but they're so loud. I hear them screaming. And just, and I will say, of the corner of my ear, I heard the words shit and chair. <laughs> and, and I know that the only way I could live through this day is to go and say, look, hey, and it was, oh, my God, I had to explain to them why I left a chair full of diarrhea. <laughs> oh, that was so that was kind of a shocking moment. Uh, yes, I would think so. Um, um, you want to hear a second one? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> OK, the second one. I, there's there's a ton of them. Um Another one was was um, there was a sex club downtown. Now I don't get involved in that shit. And you know, you've seen me at some pretty crazy shit. Yeah, and I just my clothes stay on. I don't touch anybody. It's but very I, disappointing. Yeah, okay. your your, your I, behavior is really offensive in those situations. Yeah. <laughs> well, I left more girls for you. Um, you. But I had this group of friends from high school who were coming out. Oh God, there's two. There's two – just happened twice. I'm, I'm going to tell both. So the first time – because you love the first time. The first time, these bunch of high school friends came out, and, and they said, oh, you got to find us something crazy, something wild. I said, I don't know. I said, oh, you got something insane. Find us some sex thing to do. Well, it was the first time we ever had uh, like a foot fetish guy on the show. It was, it was like a British guy or Australian guy named Steve something. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. You know who he is. Yeah. Um, and so I had like six friends in from out of town. Um, these Steve guys, Savage, I think, is his name. So. I, I, it might have been. I don't yeah. even remember. But he said, he said, oh yeah, I'll tell you. We'll punch your friend. Get them all into this party. He seems like West Hollywood, and we call them. And I said, all right, foot fetish party. So I call all my guys, and they, and I said, guys, you want to go to the foot fetish party? And they go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they all wanted to go. Yeah. But of course, I didn't really know what a foot fetish. I thought. I said, oh, this is going to be the worst thing ever. We're going to sit around. They're all going to give us pedicures. <laughs> That's what I thought was going to happen. All right. So we walk in. We walk in, and it, it smells like a crack den in there. It just – it smells like burning crack. This was and downtown, I, I take it? No, no, no. This was like in West Hollywood. Hmm, okay. It was horrible. And, and, and it's just full of smoke. It's disgusting. It's putrid. And Steve meets, hey, hey, go some Playboy. No, no, come here, come here. And have you also ever been to a party ice before? Um, no, we've never. He's, well, let me, let me show you how it works. And the Steve guy pulls this scrawny little blonde girl, 
I'm sure it's somebody you know. I just don't remember who. Mm-hmm. Um, it, into this back room, and he said, "I just want to say, free. You don't have to pay a mission, but you should tip the girl a little bit. You should do something like this, okay?" And he lies down on the ground, <laughs> and this girl with these spiky heels just starts walking on his nuts, just <laughs> grinding. Okay, so two of my guys are throwing up within <laughs> ten seconds, right? And two of the others just left, and they want to meet us in the car. Yeah. Bunch of babies. I had one brave friend, uh, and one guy who was actually brave enough to stick it out. Um, so he and I like went back into the living room area, and he's like, he's just talking to the coach. He's like, I don't, I don't give a shit. Just jerk me off with your feet. I'll give you a, give you a hundred bucks. <laughs> and they said, well, and the girls keep saying that's not what I do. He said, well, that's what I pay for. And so they're arguing, and I'm trying to explain to everybody. And then from the back room, a couple of the girls hear my voice, hmm. and they, and they. Farrell? <laughs> Farrell, is that you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, hi. So now Steve's getting mad at me because I'm taking his girls out of circulation because they're asking me how my wife is doing and my kid. It was, oh. That's beautiful. Yeah, that was a great That was a great one. I went to a couple of his parties. I was a celebrity judge at his – he did like a face-sitting party of some sort. I can't oh. remember exactly how that worked. Uh, you yes. know, one more um, Playboy story because you had already left by the time this one happened, uh, but yeah. I'll just get your comments on it. So mm-hmm. the Lisa Ann scandal at Playboy Radio was interesting because we were told at the time, hey, Spice Radio, we're trying to push the envelope. You guys got to be more more wild, which most of us took that to mean theater of the mind, as you had taught us, you yeah. know, that you want to pretend you're doing things that are more wild on the air. But in the Jessica Bangkok show, they brought on a guest, Mr. Marcus, who mm-hmm. then actually had sex with his girl in the studio, which also would not have been a problem, but they published pictures on Twitter of the of the producer of the show with a big right. thumbs up in front of the couple having sex in the studio. <laughs> Idiot. Which, yes, because, because the rest of us on our shows, if something did get out of hand, which I'm not saying it ever did on my show, if something did, we could always deny it and just right. say, no, 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 that was us pretending for the radio. But on that one, they couldn't deny it. And then Lisa Ann, so so Jessica Wait, had the you, you left you left part of the story out. Okay, the the one of the things that made it more difficult specifically was that it was Marcus. Yes. Or do you not want to tell that part of the story? No, that's fine. So Mr. Marcus had basically been banned from the adult industry for faking his results of his test. Everyone in the adult film industry, we all get tested. Once every two weeks before people can perform in an adult video. So Marcus had tested positive. Apparently he – let's say he needed mon- needed the money or whatever. For whatever reason, he chose to alter his test and got caught and was then sort of kicked out of the industry. So yeah, if you want to pick up from that point. Yeah. So th- – yeah, I, again, by, by that time, the other half of that story was at that time, I was called into the home office. I was working for SiriusXM in New York, and they got wind of this, and they called me, and they said, what the hell is going on over there? I said, I no longer know. <laughs> it's not – I'm here now. I, I can't I can't take responsibility. And <sighs> you had been moved out of that job into – and things changed around the station quite a bit at that point. It was sort of uh, rudderless to some degree – you know, whereas you were always very specific about what we could and couldn't do on the shows, uh, new management was very vague. And so it's easy to understand why this happened because they were definitely encouraging us to be wilder. Um, just to be clear, Marcus, uh, he brought on his own girlfriend on the show. It wasn't like a random civilian coming on in uh, to have sex in the studio. But. Oh, I did. I'd see, I never knew that. Yeah. But I gotta say, Marcus, I really always liked Marcus. He's, I like him. He's, he's yeah. a nice guy. I mean, I would agree that he should be banned from the sport, basically, because altering your test is sacred and it should never happen. But other than that, I mean, I've talked to him since then. He's, a, he's a nice guy. Um, it's not like he, you know, like no one ever actually accused him of giving them a disease. There's a lot of mis, misrepresentation of that story in the general public. A lot of people. Th- well, people will repeat the story and say, well, Marcus got HIV and didn't tell anybody. That's not what happened. He never had HIV. He was oh, diagnosed no. with syphilis, I believe. But the, and, and a girl sued him who also worked for you quite a bit. So, um, LeVay, somebody LeVay. 
was her name, I think. I don't know. So I she sued him, and she won. And but but a she won because he didn't show up in court, and b she wasn't suing him because he gave her a disease. She was suing him because she performed in a scene with her. Uh, he performed in a scene with her, and when the pictures got around, you could see the obvious sores on his unit. And she was just suing him over the embarrassment of having her reputation yeah, sullied. Wait, wait. This this story is so not in my book. <laughs> <laughs> this might be yeah, this might be killing our R rating. This is definitely now. When I put the podcast up, I have to click a box that says explicit or not explicit. Yeah. So we made it into explicit. But the point is here of the whole story is that Lisa Ann was working the day shift. Like her show was like two p.m. or something. Jessica's show was ten p.m. and the next day, Lisa Ann finds out or sees this thing on Twitter and starts yelling and, and, and screaming at the production people saying, this is an invasion of my workspace because I have to work in that same studio the next day, which is very ironic because um, she's a porn star. And when you're in the porn industry, you perform on sets every single day that somebody else had sex on the day before. And the, I mean, that's what you know, porn yeah, houses not, are for that but- purpose. But not with syphilis sores. That's different. He didn't have syphilis sores at the time. This was a long time after that whole scandal. All right. There was no reason to believe he was any dirtier than anybody else. But um, that ended up turning the entire station upside down. About half of the station was fired after that. Maybe 75% of the station was fired. And uh, I think (laughs) that's a good answer. Yeah. uh, Christy, Aiden Starr. So Christy Canyon, Aiden Starr. Me, uh, and I can't remember who else, but I, it, and it was funny. The, so we were the ones that kept our jobs, and then so I remember uh, Josh was the guy's name that had taken your place. He, was, mm-hmm. he calls me in and he says, uh, I, "I said, okay, well, Josh, man, I know you're in a tough situation. I'm very happy to help you with the talent search. I'll help you evaluate the new people that you want to put in these shows." And he's like, "What talent search?" We're just going to give you as many shows as you want, and you you know we're going to double up and triple up, and everybody's just going to all four of you that are left are just going to get as many shows as you want. And I was like, oh, that sounds wonderful, but I actually have a full time job already. So they yeah. ended up moving me. I had a, I think I had a one or two hour show before then, and now all of a sudden I had two three hour shows or something like that. One with Christy, and then one by myself. Were they paying you anymore? Yes, they were oh. paying me more. So I, I did actually start making money at that point. When right. I was under you, I was either unpaid or paid very little, but I just loved learning from you, so it was worth it. Okay. Yeah. So, but that, so on the your end of that thing, when the lawyers were going through all of this, because they yeah. did, because I remember they contacted me and they went through every single picture we ever put on Twitter. Yeah. Did the lawyers get a statement from you? Yeah. What would you tell them? I know nothing. Uh, um, I, you know, there wasn't much I can tell them because I had no knowledge of the incident. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't there. I didn't, you know, I, I, they only, they, they very quickly would ask me questions about whether it ever happened while I was there. And I said, I never saw it. And if, and if I did see it, I would have fired somebody. Right. But then they ended up firing Debbie Diamond, uh, and, Nikki Hunter, whom there was evidence, a visual evidence of them doing stuff on their shows as well, I believe. Um, I'm not convinced that's – no, that's – I don't believe that's why they were fired. Oh, OK. I mean they were getting – the two of them combined were getting paid more than everybody else on the station. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that yes, that would explain it then. Yeah. You know, it was definitely cheaper to just have me double up on shows than it would yes. have been to keep them. And they, they did have budget issues. So, well, you know, of course, I loved uh, Nikki Hunter very, very much. I loved having her. She was a co-host on my show a few times. Nikki's great. I mean, all the, you know, that's the, you know, that's really a lesson is uh, uh, porn world isn't that different in, in, in this way. There's a lot of good people. There are a lot of these girls and you think there are all these horrible things about them. If, if if you don't know them, most of them most of them are pretty decent. Um, I, I, a lot of them are damaged, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily evil. You know, I can only think of, you know, in my time, I can only think of one girl who got out of the business, relatively healthy, you know, with a bank account who could actually retire and move on. Um, 
you know, I'm not talking about marrying rich. I'm just just taking care of herself, and that was uh, Christy. Um, but most of the, you know, you get out of that business in your 30s. I don't know people in other lines of work who could retire in their 30s. So I, there's quite a few girls that I knew in those days that I would I would be friendly with today. Absolutely. There's a lot of great people. In In fact, of course, people can listen to the other episodes of this podcast and really get to know some of the performers. But you get to know it's them in such a different light uh, when you see them as people and not just their on-screen personas. Well, Farrell, I want to take the rest of this podcast, the time we have left, to talk about your book because it's a great book. I was entertained from start to finish. Uh, and again, you can get this on Amazon. That's where I got my copy. So just go and, and search for Farrell Hurst. That's uh, H-I-R-S-C-H. I want to ask you about the Mick Foley story because we oh, do a lot yeah. of wrestling on this podcast. I want to ask you about the Justin Bieber story because I was there for that one. As I was reading through the book, I was like, oh. this sounds familiar. But before I can ask Farrell about the Justin Bieber story, I need to tell you about a couple more of our incredibly great sponsors, Savage Sin Clothing and Sex Panther. Savage Sin Clothing. Let's talk about Savage Sin Clothing, which can be found at SavageSinClothing.com. So if you look at their website, it says, At Savage Sin, we take our MMA and XXX lifestyle seriously. Live fast. Fight hard. That's our motto. Our clothing serves as a reminder of the badass that's inside all of us. So go check it out. They got a new website here. They just updated the whole thing. They've got all kinds of clothing on here, varieties, including tank tops, hoodies... I think hoodies is new. Unisex clothing, men's, women's, bikinis, all kinds of great stuff. They've got cool logos on the shirts and cool uh, phrases like live fast, fight hard, uh, live fast, die old, (laughs) all kinds of great things as well. So do uh, check it out. Go to SavageSinClothing.com and use my promo code. King Sin, that's K-I-N-G-S-I-N. Use that promo code to get yourself a humongous discount. 40% off your order. So go buy some clothing, get 40% off, plus free shipping. And that's all by using the promo code K-I-N-G-S-I-N. So again, go to SavageSinClothing.com and use King Sin to get yourself 40% off and free shipping. Now let's talk about Sext Panther. So let's say that you are a regular listener of the show, which I'm sure you are. Last week, you listened to Cindy Starfall on the show, and you said, this woman sounds unbelievably amazing. I wish that I could get to know her. I wish I could speak to her on the phone. I wish I could text with her. I wish I could exchange pictures with her. Well, here's the good news. You can. You can do it. It's at sextpanther.com. That's S E X T. P-A-N-T-H-E-R dot com. It's your way of establishing a intimate relationship with your favorite entertainer. And that's of all kinds, not just adult, but, but mostly adult entertainers. Your way of establishing a relationship with them, like Cindy Starfall, like Christy Canyon, who's been on the show, like Ginger Lynn, who's been on the show, like Christina Rose, who's been on the show. All of them are available for you. You just got to go to sexpanther.com, get their phone numbers on there for free, and then start exchanging texts and images and talking on the phone with them today. Uh, So that's exciting. And and if you are one of the very many adult entertainers who listens to the show, you need a way to be able to establish that kind of bond with your fans, and you can do so by signing up at sextpanther.com. Each performer can set their own rates in terms of what it's going to cost to send them texts and and to send pictures and so on and talk on the phone. So whether you are a performer or whether you are a fan of the show, you should be checking out Sextpanther, S-E-X-T-P-A-N-T-H-E-R.com. Now back to Farrell. So Farrell, you were going to tell me the the Justin Bieber story, which I was there for. I forgot about that. You went to your... Okay, let's tell the Mick Foley story first, because from what I can tell from your podcast, you probably have more wrestling fans than you have Justin Bieber fans. That's probably true. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the the, the Mick Mick Foley came in uh, as a guest, and I pushed really hard because I am a wrestling fan. I am still to this day, I'm 56 years old, and I like wrestling, and I liked it. I liked it when I first saw Bruno San Martino and Gorilla Monsoon against the Executioners in the 70s. Mm. Uh, I like wrestling. Good pull. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was my it was my first live show, so I remember it. Um, the um, 
But the specific reason it was Mick Foley is that Mick had written an autobiography, which was a bestseller, much like my book. Um, and, and in it, he said his wife had given him a free pass for only one woman on earth. He <laughs> could have sex with one woman if, if he ever got the chance, which was Christy Canyon, who was one of our hosts. So, of course, we had to do everything we could to get Mick on the air. Now, I was all excited. I don't get starstruck. You know, we had rock stars and porn stars and politicians. I mean, the current president of the United States was on our station um, several times. It, we, I don't get starstruck like that. But for some reason in that, I was really excited that Mick Foley was there. And I did one of those stupid fanboy things. I was going to be his buddy. Um, and if you really know your wrestling, you'll know that um, one of Mick's best friends and mentors was a guy named Bruiser Brody. Yeah, and uh, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Of course, he was a Texas guy and and a big, strong guy. And um, Bruiser Brody was murdered um, in the um, in the showers. Yeah, in, in the showers at, at, after a wrestling event in at a stadium in Puerto Rico. And uh, officially, the murder was never solved. Anyway, and and I don't know. You know, sometimes your brain just does something insane to itself and so i'm sitting there in the green room talking to mick and telling what he should go through and he said well i don't really know about that I, and i said oh like nobody knows who really killed bruiser brody <laughs> i mean it, oh. it was horrible it was, oh it was inappropriate it was, no. and it just killed the mood he looked like he was ready to kill me it was, yeah. i just made a joke about his best friend dying getting yeah. murdered and and then i said okay go in there and hang with the porn stars and enjoy yourself <laughs> oh it was such a, you know, it was a lesson about just keeping your head about you and knowing what the situation is and don't try to be too cool for the room. That was me just trying to be cool, trying to buddy up to Mick Foley. Ugh. There's I'm, a lesson in every story in the book, people. That's why oh. you should check it out. Just as a side note, uh, I went as Christie's date to a Mick Foley comedy show one time, and there's a oh. picture somewhere probably around the internet. I don't, I'm terrible about saving pictures, but of me and Christie and Mick – and some wrestlers are not as big as they are on television, but Mick Foley is humongous. He's way bigger than he just kind of appears yeah. because he was – in fact, I talked to, to Chris Jericho about this when I interviewed him on the podcast recently that back then the wrestlers were humongous, all of them. And nowadays a 200-pound – you know, like the, the, the WWE champion is barely 200 pounds, Seth Rollins these days. But back then they were all 300-pounder types – so hey, can you, I pick you on, find this can I pick picture. on Jericho a little? Go ahead. He went the opposite direction, man. He used to be a, two, yeah. a 205 kind of guy. Did you see him in that AEW championship match? He looked like he's at 350. Yeah, I was there. And and again, I went to Chris's hotel after that, or before, right before that, and interviewed him. Um, yeah. And I took a picture of me and him just the last week together, actually, at his concert. He is humongous now. I mean, and I, I told that was how I started the interview, was saying that, you know, when I met Ric Flair or was next to Ric Flair in an airport, I was like, damn, he's about the same size as me. Yeah. Uh, Jericho, who was originally a lightweight, they called him, or something like yeah. that. The, cruiserweight, the, I cruiser think Cruiserweight, thank you, is is really a, 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 a very big guy. He's, a, he's probably just about six feet, but his muscles are huge, and he probably weighs about 230, I would guess, oh, 240. No, he's more than 230. No, I don't think he's that much bigger, but I mean, he definitely, he's like his body is very wide. Yeah. He's a big guy. He's a big guy. So anyway, there's a picture of me and uh, Mick Foley floating around the internet somewhere. Uh, and I look absolutely like, you know, like 100 pounds, even though I'm not that much bigger. But uh, So the other story is the Justin Bieber story, which is funny because I tell a story to my friends about why I never will go to anybody's yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the same story. Yeah. So go ahead and tell your story. Oh, it was – I was still at Playboy and it was my 50th birthday. It was like – it was three weeks before I left Playboy. It was my 50th birthday and uh, my brother-in-law – oh, I'll name drop a little bit. My brother-in-law was one of the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of – he and his girlfriend at the time had a yoga studio. So I treated all the girls at the station – all the, mostly Playmates if I remember that day correctly. Yep. None of the porn stars made it but it was yep. all the Playmates, like six or seven Playmates – and I think you, me, and Eric. Yeah. Um, and I just traded everybody yoga, and that was the thing. But then after the yoga, and just so people are clear, he asked me. He said, "Do you want to come to a yoga class?" I said, "Fuck no, absolutely not. Thank you." 
And he said, oh, okay. It's a yoga class of all Playboy Playmates. And I went, oh, okay. So the address is, and what time yeah. did you say? Yeah. That's the truth. Um, so we went out. So And, and then everybody decided, well, Farrell's birthday, let's treat him to lunch. So we went to the Olive Garden in Burbank. Thank you for, for sparing no expense there. Or, um, <laughs> I'm sure that was my idea. Yeah. 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 I was like, wait it's a like, minute, girls. Who, we just right. need to know up front who's paying for this. Cause... Right. Uh, ten of you guys split my lunch <laughs> at the Olive Garden. Anyway, um, so we're sitting there, and uh, we're, we're like looking at the door, and we see this giant Hummer limo pull up. Yeah. And in from the Hummer limo – Comes these and I didn't recognize. I mean, I've heard the name at this point, Justin Bieber, but I wouldn't know him. But he was too young to drive, I think, at that time. And he comes in with all his boys and stuff, and they're sitting there, and we, <laughs> and and like they they were flirting with the girls, and the girls were flirting back because they know he's Justin Bieber. Because uh, you know, again, it was my fiftieth birthday. The girls are about half that age, um, and you know, somehow when the when the afternoon is over. Not only do these guys – oh, these guys fly out without paying the check. <laughs> they're, they're these they're, – they're, what, 15, 16-year-old boys in a Hummer limo with, I don't know, $20 million in his bank account, and he's skipping out on a $30 bill. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. And 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 then because they stopped talking to us, I remember the manager tried to stick us with the bill. Really? I don't remember yeah. that part, but Yeah. Damn. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a big thing. He said, oh, yeah. do you know those guys? <laughs> I said, well, it's Justin Bieber. Uh, I guess they assume the Playboy Playmates know uh, Justin Bieber. God, do, I, I wish I could remember the names of those girls. They were absolutely so beautiful. I'll tell you who was there that day. Yeah. Because uh, Pilar Laster was there with us. Okay. Uh, Nikki Lee, L-E-I-G-H. N-I-K-K-I-L-E-I-G-H. Nikki Lee. Okay. Uh, and the – oh, yeah, the one who did – I don't remember the girl who did the show with Nikki – Oh, I should. She was Latina also. Oh, she was good. So is Nikki the smaller one? I think maybe that's who I'm thinking of that I was Nikki, just infatuated with that day. Yeah. Nikki was a smaller blonde. Yeah, okay. Yeah, she was amazing. Oh, what was it? But, but a good – wait, you know what? Jessica Hall went with us that day. Oh, no, that's the one. Yeah, Jessica Hall. Oh, you got no shot at Jessica Hall. I have no shot at any of those girls. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but Jessica Jess Hall was the one that I was like really, really infatuated with that well, day at least. She's yeah. she, she's a, she's terrific, but A, she's a TV star. Yeah. B, she's happily married. Yeah. I think she just had her second kid. And, you know, she was – she was friends with the girls. In fact, that was a, she was a chapter in my book. People would always ask me, you know, if Hef's three girlfriends, which one was your favorite? And I used to say Jessica Hall, the fourth one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Big Jessica Hall fan. Well. I, and I'm not saying she's because she's beautiful. I, I like her personally. Uh, yes. I remember her being extremely charming. I mean, I had a lot of a big personality at that lunch or, or during the class, which I was, you know, just way out of my league all the way on that one. So I, I want to ask you one more book story here. Uh, I think since you mentioned it, I'm going to have to throw out our, the president of the United States, this guy by the name of Donald Trump, and he's in your book. What's the Donald Trump he, he, story? He is. It's, it's, I didn't think you were going to go there. I thought, you know, it's a, there's a Frank Sinatra story. There's an Annette Benning, Carol Burnett, Charlton Heston. There's just not the, enough Donald Trump news coverage, and I feel like yeah. finally um, somebody should talk about this guy. Well, this is a different story. I don't go into the politics of anything because, you know, yeah. that – I certainly have my political opinions, but but that's not what this book is about. Um, it, but it just so happens that um, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, Al, and Donald Trump's father, Fred, that's Fred C. Trump, and the C stands for Christ, um, uh, were running in the same circles in the 19, I don't know, the 30s, 40s, 50s in New York. Um, they were builders who would, who would build a little plot of land in Brooklyn or Queens. They'd buy a little plot of land in Brooklyn or Queens and put up some homes or apartment buildings and – Sometimes they were partners on a deal. Sometimes they were cooperating on a deal. Sometimes they were um, opponents, business opponents in a deal. But they, but they were in the same circles. And I can tell you that before the public had any knowledge of the Trump family, before they were in the public consciousness, we knew the Trumps. Um, and and my grandfather used to tell me – he used to tell me stories about the worst person he ever met. <laughs> He said the most disgusting, awful, horrible human being he ever met, and it would just turn out it was the guy who was the father of the current president of the United States. But I always like to put the disclaimer: it's just, you know that that's not necessarily a a knock against the current president. Um, it was my grandfather's opinion of of 
of the president's father. There you go. And what's the lesson to be learned out of there? Remember? Because every uh, story in your book has a lesson yeah. to be learned. I can look it up if you want to here. Yeah, that's that's a good question. What the hell lesson did I learn in that? Is is that my grandfather should be the only voter for all... No, um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll tell um, you, it's on page 109. Let's see here. Oh, uh, oh no, I know what is... it is. I remember it. I remember it. It's Here's the thing. He used to tell me that this guy was obnoxious and, and boorish and had no self-control. And, and, and listen, no matter what you think of the president's policies, those things are true about his personality. And so maybe, maybe my lesson that day was that the, the apple doesn't fall far from the trees. And I probably yes. made, a, made a reference to my mother's favorite phrase, which is the snot doesn't fall far from the nose. That's exactly what you wrote. You wrote both. Yeah. Things. The apple doesn't fall from the tree. The snot doesn't fall far from the nose. Well, look, you're an amazing person. Uh, I could do this for hours. In fact, Many times I have called you on the phone and just kept on the phone with you for hours Yeah, because yeah. I've, I think everything is entertaining that you, you talk about. But I know you have to get back to it, so we'll we'll plan on having a part two of this interview in the future. I would uh, love that because there's so many stories we didn't get to. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And I, and I think people are really going to enjoy hearing this. So just promote your social media real quick here. Um, well, I don't really do social media stuff, but uh, right now I am the CEO of a not-for-profit in Orange County, California called the Muckenthaler Center. If you want to find out what we do, you can go to www.themuck, T-H-E-M-U-C-K dot org. Okay. And, uh, or, or if you want to buy the book, yes. the best thing to do is go to Amazon. Uh, my name is Farrell Hirsch, H-I-R-S-C-H, and the name of the book is 50 Things I Learned by Screwing Up in Front of Celebrities. It was originally called – 50 things I learned by fucking up in front of celebrities. <laughs> but but the publisher said that we, we'll, we'll never get into Barnes & Noble. Yeah, smart publisher. Uh, and I'll have a link to it in the liner notes of the show here. So whether you're on iTunes, whether you're listening to us on Google Play, Spotify, uh, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, any of those, just check out the little notes that go along with it, and you'll find a link to the excellent book. I also want to remind everybody that we have a, uh, a Twitter now for the show. As of last week's show, you may recall, people that are listening to the show, we had four uh, followers, uh, but so many of you joined in and and, uh, and followed us. We're now at 111, which is exciting, but I would like to get us up to as many as possible because I think it helps us get more great guests. So please follow us on Twitter. Just give us a follow. And again, uh, if you are downloading the show on iTunes or wherever – uh, download the show, uh, click on subscribe because we get judged by number of subscribers, which is why I always say I don't care if you actually listen to the show. Just subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, and um, and then give us a five-star review. All of this helps the show because I know all of you people want to support the show. So, Farrell Hirsch, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for giving oh, us your time you, today. That was great. Let's do it again. Let's do it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Bye.